What's up, everybody? I'm Josh. And I'm Neil. And welcome to Then I Got My Ass Beat, Episode 2. <laughs> da, da, da. Hey, Neil, I got a quick question for you before we jump into this. What? Why was the boxer fired from his job? Uh, I don't know why. Never punched out. Damn, Neil. <laughs> We're going to see that going. <laughs> You didn't go with. I got a box, so I got working for me. Now, bring your A game next time, man. We have, a, we have an exciting, upbeat show for everybody today. Yeah. Talking about upsets, injuries, setbacks, and motivation. Neil, how you doing? That all the way up, 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 all the way up, up. <laughs> Uh, upset. No, I'm good, man. It's uh, it's been a good week, man. I uh, hung out with the family in Hawaii. That was like uh, I was definitely a first. Um, I was out there at BJ Penn's hometown. I actually got pictures of the UFC gym in either building with his name on it out there. I think he was running for governor last time I was out there. Um, so he's 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 doing this thing out there. And I went out there to see uh, to train with a few masters actually, which was which was pretty fun. And, um, We'll probably tap in on that one when they got so I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you doing, little brother? Uh, explain your uh, training out there a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was it was really it was dope. It was interesting. It was like you know today when I went to go meet up with the group that I trained with out and locally where I'm at. It's the first time I've really. really Dizzy since I got back, so I haven't had a chance to um, to tap in with the group yet. So today was the first day I met with them. And, you know, people I was working with were asking, you know, what happened? What did you learn? And I was like, I learned a lot and more than I can even express and put into words. But I don't even know if I worked on the art at all. At all. Like, there was like, matter of fact, not only there was three sessions of four to six hours that I paid to go with this guy. Then I, just to get some time in working on my art, me and one of my teachers had a two-hour session with him. He worked on one thing, a stance. That was it. Like, the whole time. And then the other sessions, he didn't work on art at all. Like, we didn't bring it up once. We actually worked on other arts that I worked on, which surprised me, too. It was like, you know. But um, at the end of the day, I did feel like I got better at my art after doing that, which is weird. And like even my teacher, two of my teachers at the place where I was, you know, where I train at, were like, "Yeah, your your field is different. There's something different about you," you know. So it was it was definitely like, you know, can you see or imagine in the movies going to meet like a really high level, almost mystical type of teacher that teaches you something on the border between magic and science? It was like that, like driving up to the house because it's off road. Like in Hawaii in the rain was like a fucking Indiana Jones adventure. I was like, you kidding me? Like I had one minute, two minutes, all, you know, or a mile or two to get there. Something I'm close. It's a 30 minute drive. No, I'm right here. It's turn off road. He told me it was a little off road. No problem. I'm driving. I'm driving in this old pickup truck. Man, there was there was puddles. I couldn't tell if there was ditches or not. Right, like the puddles wide as the road. Right. 
deep is the tire. So I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if this truck is going to get stuck in here or not. And then like, it was several of those. And each, each time it, it gets worse, I think, oh shit, that's gotta be, yeah, it can't, can't be worse. And then how they get to the house, then something else comes up worse. So well, that was a true, I was like, this is the road to his house. <laughs> so it just was a great first impression. I was like, this is dramatic, epic and dramatic. But when you get there, it's this awesome little, like, it looks like some out of a movie. Like, this look, just nice ranch villa, you know, having tea, you know, on the on the porch. Uh, but it was awesome. It was, it was an awesome training experience. And I got to train with my teacher's teachers and watch them, you know, with their master of many, you know, decades and uh, see how they were in class. And, just, you know, that, that, was, that was cool. That was fun. Yeah. So for the people at home, what specifically were you training out there? Shit, I don't know. I don't even know at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, you know, the guy actually, it, it was actually a unique thing. He was actually introducing something to the West he's been working on in Japan. And he's introducing it for the first time out in the West. And it's a framework for looking at, uh, at energy, you know, at, at internal energy. Um, and it does radically kind of flip some of the notions that the, that the entire artifice is built upon that haven't really been questioned for thousands of years. And so that's bigger and beyond any of the arts we practice, you know what I mean? But it affects all of them, you know what I mean? Um, the art that I train in, that I was invited to go out there and train with him with, that my teachers train in, is each one there's several arts that we all do um and he does several of the arts that i do um we were training in Sarak, which is a version of salat that i trained in by the end which tripped me out and you know and i, I always told people i liked it because it was internal and feel felt close so it was nobody else in my uh, my teachers really gets that but like it was so funny to see him training the, the people in it um but anyway you know uh each one is the name of the art that uh primarily we train and it's it's translate to mind intent fist so the let's say the purpose of it you know if we can put it in a sentence is you know when you, you don't have to teach a tiger martial arts you don't have to teach a squirrel martial arts right like if you put them in a corner they're gonna lash out and do their thing they're gonna do it the most effective way possible you know what i mean like and the reason why is because when your body is pressured when a certain moment like somebody gets too close in your space there's a certain condition that your body goes into to, to, to protect itself that's just a natural phenomenon all animals have and so humans have lost the ability to tap into it because we we live in a state of not needing it most of the time right and especially the habits that society creates and causes right like you have to fight to tap into it and how to correctly tap into it even when we tap into it it's very partial right like uh, even fighters don't really you know very few understand how to fully tap into that and utilize it right other than like fight or flight other than extreme you know what i mean you're gonna die kind of scenarios um so the art is all about teaching how to tap into that feeling and then being able to utilize it you know and so there's movement there's you know the, the, the movement to the beginning help do that and understanding of structure becomes important but all of it goes away over time as you learn this feeling, this relationship with this feeling. And once you understand the relationship with this feeling, you can insert it into anything you do. So when I do jujitsu, that's a lot of what I'm playing with and experimenting with. Like, oh, what happens when I put this kind of energy into this? You know, how does it show up? How does it, you know, how, how do people react and respond to it? Yeah, we'll definitely cover internal martial arts and energy at some point. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very complicated and it's an idea that a lot of people aren't familiar with. So. We will definitely cover that at some point. 
Um, I'm pretty good, man. Like I've just been trying to stay dry. Like if you're, if you're not familiar with like SoCal weather, this is normally like at the end of our second summer and we'd be about to transition to our first summer again. Yeah, we just had like <laughs> really last <long> summer. <laughs> but this year has been crazy. We've been hit by a hurricane. It's crazy. We had the blizzards and shit. Yeah, we snow. We had the mountain snow down. Nobody can get home. Yeah, so I've mostly just been staying dry, working, exhausted, tired, beat up. That's about it. Nothing new. <laughs> Man, I've been around. I feel that. When we came back from Hawaii, because it was like, not rainy season out there, but it was rainy, like a couple of days. And, um, you know, I remember one day I, I ran, I was going to the Tai Chi teacher's place. Uh, it was like two miles up the road, so I figured I'd walk it. And I got caught with a whole drenching, you know, going through. And by the time I got to his house, maybe 10 minutes later, his place, I was almost dry. You know what I mean? It was just cool to be reminded of the humidity. And it would have been not like that where I'm at, man. It would not have been like that at all. Uh, but so getting back here, it's like out there, I'm not scared of the rain. It's cool. Like, oh, a few drops, nice. I hear, I feel you in the same place. Like, I'll just keep that where it's at. <laughs> yeah, the weather's beautiful in Hawaii. And the rain, the rain's nice. It doesn't last too long. It's nice and warm. Yeah, yeah. I was walking down the street and I was like, you know, cars coming towards you and you can see the spray coming off the wheels, you know, at the back. And I was like, wow, that spray's really high. I was like, that seems really high for a truck. That spray. Look him at it. And I'm like, is that spray from the wheels? Like, oh no, that's a rain cloud. That's a rain cloud coming this way at the speed of the truck. <laughs> I was like, okay, there's really nowhere to go from here. Let me get ready to start filling a few drops. I was like, oh, okay, this is it. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was cool to be able to see just a little rain cloud, like a cartoon, just going through. You're going to pass over here and just keep going on its way. <laughs> All right, this is what we call an abrupt and violent pivot <laughs> to our next subject. <laughs> All right, we're going to talk about upsets. We're going to start with upsets. What are the three biggest upsets that you remember watching in MMA? What's your first one? I mean, I would have to, number one, I would have to go to Izzy. And in the end, career because I saw it. <laughs> um, yeah, I would, you know, um, I think, especially, and what makes that feel like such a big upset, because that's not going to be on a lot of people's big upset lists, you know what I mean? But knowing who Izzy was and the dominance he's had, um, even with Pereira coming into the fight with the prep he had, the dominance that Izzy showed throughout the fight, the prep that he showed throughout the fight, you know, the whole way through, it was, you know, and for it to end the way it ended, the, and for, you know, the calls to kind of go the way they had it, which, you know, even he was fine with, but I think we all know it could have, you know, you know, it, you know, it's, it's very subjective. Um, you know, it was definitely one of those like, oh, wow, like, as much as I feel like Izzy can reclaim it as much as anybody other fighter it's like is this his narrative does he have a weird does he really have a weird thing with this guy 
Like, is it, you know what I mean? It starts to get into the, 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 the kind of kooky, mystical, like, you know, the, you know, so, you know, the, I think that makes it interesting. That makes for, you know, that makes for interesting narratives, right? And I think that's what upsets do to, when they do upset you, they, you know, they shock you, they, they change the narrative in ways you could never expect. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, Izzy and Perea, what made that so interesting was that Izzy was winning four rounds. And he was winning pretty easily. And what made it really interesting for me is like going into that fifth round. Pereira's like, I need a knockout. And he just turns on a switch and turns into the Terminator. It's like, where was that? Where was that the first four rounds? You know, what happened? Yeah, it was it was pretty shocking in, in that sense. Right? It's like four rounds and you can't do anything. And then all of a sudden that fifth round, you're just like, okay, I'm just going to knock him out. What about you? What's your so? What about you, man? What's your what's your number two upset? What's your my 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 first upset? Me personally, is, is uh, guy we were just talking about, BJ Penn and Frankie Edgar. So people at home, if you don't remember how good BJ Penn was or never got to see him live, BJ Penn was one of the best fighters in the lightweight division. He's called the Prodigy for a reason. How you know he's a dude that. And one of the best uh, jujitsu games in the early UFC, and really, really good striking. It was one of those guys like I never, like I knew he'd lose eventually. Like I never thought it'd be Frankie Edgar though. Mm. Frankie Edgar's the ultimate underdog, and Frankie Edgar came in and took it to him. Mm. And I remember sitting at home watching watching those results, and thought it was close, but I thought BJ Penn pulled it out. And then when they say Frankie Edgar won, I was pretty shocked. Mm. And they did the immediate rematch, and then Frank Edgar, you know, closed the book on that. And yeah, and then BJ Penn was never the same. Mm. But I remember just how like how raw it felt watching BJ Penn actually lose. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. It's crazy. I saw his last fight, man. That was the generation ago. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, no, I'm showing my age a little bit. How well, no, I mean, it's this man. A young Frankie Edgar, that's a Sam. That's a you know throwing bombs, catching bombs, <laughs> like uh, those Edgar Lawler uh, freaking bouts, man. God, gruesome. Yeah, Frank, Frankie Edgar, Gray Maynard, like those those fights were. That was his rivalry. He got into right after he beat BJ Penn. Oh, okay, yeah, like those guys beat the shit out of each other. Mm-hmm. Like that first fight, that first great Maynard Frankie Edgar fight. I don't want to go too off topic here, but that first fight, Gray Maynard took it to him. Like Gray Maynard won that first round ten to eight, and that was back in the day when like you when judges didn't give out ten eight rounds. Mm. Nowadays they give out 10, 10 eight rounds somewhat frequently. Back mm. then you had to get destroyed to get a ten eight round. Mm. Frankie Edgar almost got knocked out multiple times that first round. And it still came back and got a draw out of that fight. Oh, wow. Wow. And then the third fight between those guys, Frank Yeager knocked him out. But then, an end of that. So, so what's your, what's your second, what's your second upset? Second upset. See, upset. Um, I would have to say... I would have to say Connor Aljo. 
that was a paradigm shift. And I remember watching that. And, and I remember, like, because it wasn't that he beat him. And it still is the fact that he heard Jeff. Which fight? Connor Jose Aldo. Aldo. Oh, yeah, Aldo. Yeah. Yeah. That that was a that was a shift. That was a you know what I mean. That was seismic to me. You know, in the US, that's what propelled. That's what kind of became Connor. That's the official fight. Where after that, it's different. You know what I mean. And it wasn't just the fact that how it happened. It still to me was extreme disrespect that you know he never got the rematch and they just put him on this this golden boy trajectory. But thirteen seconds. 13 seconds with all the hype of all the, you know what I mean? It was just like, man, and lucky shot or not, like, which, you know, it was a good shot. Like, I, you know, I think even he was surprised that it was a finisher, you know what I mean? But like, 13 seconds, I was like, because I really thought, I really liked all those chances over time, you know what I mean? And looking at all those styles of time, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really know, you know, I, I like Connor's chances. I like both of the chances, but I like Connor's chances, you know, and, uh, well, fight, but yeah, that was a gauge. That was it's like, oh shit, it's over. Really? Oh man, oh man, oh, it's a whole new era thing now. It's like a fuck. <laughs> yeah, that was one of those paradigm shifted fights. Like, it, it UFC was gonna go one or two directions after that. It was either gonna be Connor's game, right? Or we were just gonna go back to the old status quo. Well, it was becoming Rousey's game if Rousey had. <laughs> It was a little bit. If she had lost the home anyway, but let me not go off the top. But you know what I mean? If she had changed her trajectory, if she had been their cyborg or their Nunez at that time, who knows what, you know what I mean? What it is right now. That, exactly. That, that's another moment. But that Aldo Connor fight in, in particular was something that it was going to change the UFC forever if Connor won. Right. And the way he won. Right. And all of a sudden, it took UFC from it's prize fighting, but it's also really legitimate to okay, this is more prize fighting, more show than it ever has been, and it's right. never it's never been the same since then. Right. right. And for Aldo, like his, it ruined his rep. I don't want to say it ruined his reputation, but it tarnished it. Oh, yeah. I've watched I watched Aldo from his WEC days, and he just like ran buzzsaw for every yeah. single fighter and wouldn't yeah. worth it. He was, he was one of the most dominant champions ever. One of the most after. And then after that Conor fight, I feel like a lot of people forget just how good Aldo was. He get treated like he's a high-level gatekeeper or some shit. Like, Aldo was like, and he and Aldo still looks good. Aldo still looks good. Aldo was still killing it against top competition. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, Aldo can still compete. He's getting older, but he can still compete. But he was one of the most dominant champions we've ever seen. And yeah. Connor took that all away with that right. fight. Right, right. He did. He did. Like he was no, he was a much more dominant champion than Connor was. Even though know. the narrative, even though the narrative, you know what I mean? Like you'd have to have people do their homework to know that. You know what I mean? The kids that maybe got on Connor's bandwagon after that would never realize like Connor hasn't been half the champion, although worse. But not even was remembered. 20 times the way that Aldo is. Yeah, very very few people were the champion the way Aldo was. Like, I think if you count his WEC and his UFC fights, he has as many title defenses as I think Demetrius Johnson. That's what I was saying, Mighty Mouse, John Jones. Yeah, that's those are like elite elites, right? Like, 
Yeah, Aldo was champion for, I, I don't know how long, forever. Right, like he was indoctrinated as champion as soon as he came into the UFC and he held that belt for five or six years. He was WEC champion at that weight class for, I think, two or three years before that. Yeah. Like, and he's, he's the one that, uh, that took that division basically away from Faber. Like, Faber was the key to that division until Aldo came. Yeah, that's right. Aldo did take it from Faber. He did. He did. I got to ask you, Ryan, about that one day when I get back. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, yeah, he did. So what's your number two? My number two is Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena. I was wondering about that. I never never thought Amanda Nunes would lose. Like as dominant as she looked, like her biggest, her biggest threat was always Shevchenko, but she had already beat her twice, and Shevchenko moved down to, uh, to the flyweight division, and pretty much has dominated there. He's been the champion since then, and then never looked like Shevchenko was moving back up, and there was like nobody else in the division after she beat Cyborg in a weight class up. There was really no other female that looked like they could take on Nunez. And for Pena to beat her like that, it wasn't just like, oh, she beat her in a close decision. Like, she took it to her second round, wore out, choked her up. The second Nunez Pena fight is how I thought the first one would go. Right, right, right. right. It was absolutely just jaw dropping to sit there and watch them announce Pena as the new champion. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's, it, yeah, Pena, uh, you know, I, I, Pena is like, you know, I've seen a couple of her fights and, um, you know, style, when, when, the, when it's the right style, it works really well. But uh, she's one of those, one of those underdog stories, like you like to see her win, like she, when, you know, she just, even when she gets it, she serves it for sure, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I remember that really surprised me too, like, yeah, I really surprised me that that I think my number three is probably like when we talked about earlier, I still think it's uh Cyborg Nunes. Cause to me, and I wasn't watching at the time, so that's a little bit of an asterisk on this, you know what I mean? But like Cyborg, early cyborg, peak cyborg to me is still and I do need to go, you know, this would be a good topic for a future thing. But if talking about most intimidating female fighter I've seen, I would, I think Peak Cyborg is still top of my list. Like I still, you know, I don't know because that would, Nunes didn't fight Peak Cyborg. You know, she, she fought older Cyborg, which is fine. She fought like, she fought like almost John Jones mindset Cyborg, right? She's been doing it for so long, couldn't get the fight she wanted, the promotion finally in the UFC, UFC hates her. You know what I mean? Like you just, you know, it's just not, not all the stuff there, right? So like, and again, I wasn't, I'm still was hot that I missed that fight and all the, you know, the stuff around it. But like, I had taken note of Cyborg for five or six years before. And that, that, that early version of Cyborg, I still to this day don't know if there's a woman I put in that cage, just like Jones at his best, Peak Jones, like, I don't know if anybody in his weight class, you know what I mean? Like, is, you can put him up against there. So, you know, them, to me, Nunez beating Cyborg was a big deal to me, not just because Cyborg got beat. Yeah, it happens, you know, but like, it really allowed the UFC 
to close the door on Cyborg and take the to, to me, Cyborg had always been a symbol of like the UFC maybe not have the best talent. Right? Like Cyborg was without a doubt the best woman fighter in the world if you watched women, you know what I mean? If you was really watching, you know, stuff was going on and like her relationship with the UFC is that it's not like Ngano who was like maybe the best heavyweight before Jones became heavyweight kind of thing. Like Cyborg was for sure the best women's fighter in the world, best, you know, MMA fighter in the world. And so for them to finally get their champion, their champion to beat Cyborg and then to be able to be done with Cyborg also to me, it, it represented a, a step up in their ability to now make champions. You know what I mean? And you know, so it was that that was interesting to me too. And they created that division specifically for Cyborg. And then for Amanda to go up there and not only win, but knock her out the way she did, that allowed the UFC to say they have the best fighters. Right? They never gave they never gave Cyborg that rematch. Still never. salty about that. Because that second fight, that second fight would have been different. Yes. There's there's no way. I don't want to say it was a lucky punch by Nunez, but it's one of those punches where it's, it doesn't happen twice. We saw what happened when Nunes got her rematch, right? <laughs> you know, like, give the greats their rematch. Give the greats their rematch. The trilogy reminds me of is DC and Stipe. Right? DC moved up, and he knocked Stipe out in the first round. Stipe had the most heavyweight title defenses of anybody else. DC goes up there and knocks him out in the first round. And it, it felt like... It didn't feel like DC won. It felt like Steve A got caught. And you saw in the next two fights how different it was. That's how I feel like Cyborg and Nunez would have been. I guess I like Nunez. I like Nunez. I think Nunez is dope. She's definitely, you know, it's like, I mean, like, gotta be in that conversation, right? But like, you know, and I test, I test, you know, like, Cyborg is the Mike Tyson, the women fighters for me. You know what I mean? I test. You know what I mean? Like that's the, if I have a friend, a daughter, a loved one, that's the last woman I'm gonna ever allow any of them to ever get in the ring. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that's when I put my peak cyborg. You know, and Nunez is dope, but I don't feel like that about her. You know what I mean? Yeah, what made cyborg so impressive wasn't that she was like just running through people, mm-hmm. that she was bludgeoning people. Oh. She wasn't getting knockouts. There were TKOs. People were quitting. Yes. And it was the way her move, like, as I watch how she moves, her ability, it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just like, uh, you know, the, there was subtle things about how she moved and her structure that were like elite, like, you know, and like her ability to move through her ability to like keep energy going forward. I would just be like, yeah, there's not many men that can do that well. She does that elite for a male and women don't usually have to deal with you know what I mean? Like a male's elite forward pressure and catching them on so like when a woman doing it with her skill level, with her power, I was just like, yeah, that's, you know, that it'll start to break you mentally, right? Like those are, that's the kind of, you know, you don't see that kind of pressure with women with that level of intensity. You know what I mean? It's still a little public, like hers would be like, oh yeah, like you, and I don't want to break it down in the gender or whatnot because it really doesn't impact skill or ability, but there are tendencies, right? There are natural tendencies that do show up, right? And like, there were things that Cyborg would do that was like, oh, these are, you know, this blurs lines. <laughs> like, she was Vanderlei Silva for Pride for the women. I don't know. He's so, oh, I never did watch him much, but I remember his, he's lit. 
Yeah, I never watched yeah. it. Yeah, go back and watch his fights for pride. And okay. They'll remind you of Cyborg. Okay. He, okay. he had this he had this aura yeah. about him where anybody that got in the ring with him, he just felt like was lambs to the slaughter. Like Vanderlei was gonna brutalize you, he was gonna intimidate you. He would just sit there and stare at you. He'd do this weird thing with his fist where he like rolls fists around and he just stare over it like he's gonna kill you. <laughs> There's a reason they he had the nickname the axe murderer. <laughs> he would just walk across the ring just like Cyborg. Brutalize the shit out of you. It was probably a little bit worse because it was pride, right? Like you could do soccer kicks. Like this guy would like soccer kick you in the head while you were down. No, it, wow. was, it was brutal, brutal. But same war, same war. You just felt like anybody that gets in there is just is gonna get destroyed. <laughs> and my my number one, my number one upset is Anderson Silva and Chris Weidman won mm-hmm. the first fight. I I can't even put it into words exactly how people felt watching that fight. Anderson was the most dominant fighter I think I've I've ever seen. Prime, Prime Anderson, mm-hmm. watching him fight somebody like Forrest Griffin, a former light heavyweight champion. And I don't know Forrest Griffin. Do you remember that fight with uh, Anderson? No. Oh man, he so Forrest Forrest basically walked forwards and he would throw these shots at Anderson. Anderson put his hands down like the Matrix, right? Dodged everything, knocked him down. Didn't jump on him. Goes over to help him up. Boris <laughs> gets up. Starts doing the same thing. And Anderson just puts his hands down, dodges every single one of his attacks, knocks him out. Yeah, that minutes, I think. Roy, you mentally. Yeah, that's the type of stuff that Prime Anderson Silva would do. I never thought I'd see him lose. He was he was that dominant. And it, I wish I could describe the reaction in the room for everybody that was watching that fight. I think we spent 10 minutes and didn't say a word. And then afterwards, it was yeah. just, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> we rewind this? Like, do we see this right? No way. <laughs> and he started breaking it down, and it's like, oh, well, Anderson was just toying with him. He was just playing with him. You know, next fight, he's going to take it seriously. But no, that was it. That was it. Anderson was downhill after that, but it was one of the most surreal experiences I've mm. ever been a part of as a fan watching fight. Mm. And as I remember Anderson Silva, like this is before I was following closely, and he was the only one where you know I'd watch every now and then, you know, be the fuck around. If I got cable where I'm at or whatever, and I remember Silva was the only one at the time who I saw I was like, oh, you know what, this guy's. This this guy's a depth. This guy's you know this this his kicks his striking is elite for what I do. You know what I mean? Like not just for a UFC fighter. Like his he's you know he's he's interesting. You know, and then you know I was like you know seeing how other people like he's a big thing. He's like you know I was like oh that's cool. And like when I started getting into it later, he had already started declining. I was just, I never knew when that moment was that you know that he that thing started going downhill. But he was already at the point where you know people were talking about him in gold terms and like you know hopefully he could get back to and then you know more disappointing losses than than wins but um yeah man yeah i remember i remember i, I wish i had been around like i had been you know in it like i am now to enjoy uh peak peak silver 
Yeah, back then it was him and GSP. They were like the only two in the conversation for the cup. I won't say the only two, but they were like the two guys in their prime that were in that conversation. You know, you had your, you had your Fedors and stuff, but those two were their primes. And it just felt like, just felt like Anderson was on a different level with GSP. As good as GSP was, but after that fight, it changed. GSP went on to cement his legacy some more, and they eventually come back and and uh, take the belt from Michael Bisbing, the Count. <laughs> By the way, that's another upset that nobody saw coming. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. I feel like everybody kind of knew that the Count was he was losing that fight to GSP. <laughs> I like Bisping. Uh, uh, I, I love Bisping. I love Bisping, but he's he wasn't going to beat GSP that night. <laughs> but yeah, that's how that's how good Anderson was. You know, it was one of the most surreal experiences was to watch him lose for the first time. Um, and one thing that all those upsets have in common, right? Whereas that's a huge setback for those fighters. I want to transition a little bit into our personal setbacks. What are some personal setbacks you've had, Neil, with uh, martial arts throughout the years, throughout your long journey? Oh man, let's say top three things that have caused setbacks for me. Um, have been probably number one poverty um probably number two um uh injuries and you know i would say number three because i think accountability is important i'd say discipline you know um yeah i'll say discipline um and yeah, I mean, I won't mind that. I'll come back and go into it. What else are you? Yeah, I would say the big one for me was probably COVID. Pre-COVID, I was I was training in the gym You're five, right. six, six days You're a week. Right. Yeah, and COVID happened, and COVID just happened to like coincide with the point where I was getting ready to move to SoCal. So COVID happened, gym basically closed down, right? Like they, they were still doing Zoom stuff, Zoom training sessions. Right. I, I, I ain't paying gym. Right, a little boxing, right. Zoom right. sessions. Right, right. And they're like, no, we can still watch your technique and footwork. Yeah, I can watch my own technique and footwork. And And so the setback part was like not being able to spar with people. Yeah. losing that because that's that's a huge thing in boxing you can you can practice technique all day and that's what i would do you know i still go to the park and do my shadow boxing exercise uh do my technique work but without having somebody in front of me there's only so much i could do right and then i moved down to socal and i wasn't able to find a gym that was close by i eventually found one it wasn't very good I went there for a couple sessions and I was like, this place sucks. So I kept training, kept training by myself, probably trained by myself for a good year or I eventually transitioned into a 
jujitsu. But uh, yeah, and then injuries, obviously. We'll get into injuries in a second here. How do you deal with uh, setbacks in your training? You know, depends on the setback. Um, you know, I think a big part of the type of training that I do um, is being able to ultimately make your body, you know, your dojo, right? Your place to train, right? Like, be able to, to carry your training everywhere. And in any art you do, not all arts are built for that, right? Um, like, with boxing, there's pieces of that, but, you know, there's not a whole lot of internal aspects, so it's kind of hard to, you know, work. You know, there's only so much you can do with the grocery store or the counter, you know? Um, I, I, I just want to say, man, like, there's not, there's not a bunch of internal stuff with boxing, but if you do have an understanding of that stuff, it gives you a huge advantage. Yes, yes, yes. I would say, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, ultimately, like, trying to, you know, get, get to, you know, being able to work on stuff on your own is a thing. And once you can do that, there's always something that I've found, even with injuries, that I can do to work on, um, uh, to work on what I do. But, you know, how I deal with setbacks, you know, really have to check back in with the goals. You know, why am I doing this? You know, what is it a setback for? Because that's what the setback is, right? Like, you know, whatever your path, your journey is, whether it's like, oh, I want to be able to, you know, see if my skill level improves at a certain time. Well, if you can't practice with anybody, but you know what I mean, over the next eight months, how do you, you can't know that, right? So that's a setback, you know? Um, you know, I want to be able to compete at this level, you know, da 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 So, you know, it's really... You know, my goals around martial arts, you know, I, I want, I aim for mastery at some point, you know what I mean? Which is, you know, just the quality of being able to do what you do. So it's, you know, there's, there's always ways to work on that, you know, that, that, that may not be conditioning, you know, related, but like my goals over the next couple of years are conditioning related. Like, you know, while I do feel like I have, you know, some new things bone in this body, you know, I do want to get you know my conditioning right and, and be at a place where i feel like i can do the most that this body you know has able to do for it you know um so you know I, for the most part it's it's patience and it's learning how to listen more and more to your body like when i one of the things that i got coming back from why was a different way of learning how to listen to my body you know and it has it was interesting you know my knee my meniscus has been an injury you know it's been an injury that i've dealt with for a long time it's actually it's really slowed down my 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 conditioning, my ability to to get my conditioning where I want to be, to be able to step into spaces that I want to. Um, and you know, one thing I used to I used to be, you know, proud of. I had I've always had bad knees since I was young, but I was like in my twenties, and you know, I was really glad with how strong my knees were that would do the things I was able to do. And uh, I used to practice being in seiza position, right? You know, you've seen Japanese styles and an old samurai position it's uh you know in japan as like an institution it's institutionalized it used to be you know you had to do it like it's how they sat in school and everything i haven't done says it for years you know like probably a decade you know and haven't been able to do it. can you break down that position for people at home yeah yeah i can actually oh you got this is yeah this is me getting my ass kicked i got my ass kicked this past week with this position so scissor you're going to you're gonna get on your knees, and I know they won't be able to see the video, Matt. But you know, you gotta get on knees. Your your shins, your ankle, the front part of your foot is all gonna be flat on the ground, and you're gonna come back and sit on your heels. 
And it'll be a position something like this. Let me charge it up. Alright. And you know, a sword then would sit here, you know, if it may come out or just here, this just kind of be a resting position. You see now, like I'm leaning forward because I don't have the conditioning to be able to, you know, to rest where I was. But like where I started at the first day when we were doing the workshop, those of us that have been doing this for you know a long time had been doing for a while, we were barely able to get here. We had like hella pillows in here. Just hilarious. And like he's going through three or four hours, like, you guys, bro, what the hell? You know. And it was interesting because it's, you know, what you're feeling in the knee, it's like, it was like, damn, it's just going to pop. Like, I don't know if I could do that. Like, is this smart? But, you know, he, he introduced some different ways of talking to your body. And still, by the end, you know, we had spent two or three hours in this and I was down to one pillow. And this morning I was, you know, I've been practicing since I got back. This is about as far as I can go now comfortably without having to get into some deep shit <laughs> to concentrate. But, um, you know, I've been able to, I've been watching my, my, my pillows go from here to here and you know, hopefully, you know, a couple of months, I'll be back to, you know, full Caesar. Um, so, you know, just in other words, learning how to listen to your body to learn what can you do. There's the, the, the part of your body that registers pain. The part of your body that that responds to pain is actually different than the part of your body that feels pain. And that's a one of those weird kind of mystical kind of sounding things. But when you understand it, you can separate the two and feeling pain doesn't necessarily mean it's a wall towards progress it may mean it's a fork in the road to investigate which you know which direction to go so how do you feel like injuries impact you versus regular setbacks that we discussed man injuries injuries two things like if you're progressing in any kind of way they definitely interrupt your progress but i think more importantly they take the fun out and the fun is the juice right it's the you know like maybe you're a professional fighter maybe you're an amateur with goals and trying to get you know I mean, most people that are even training hard on their own right they just love to do it you know what i mean and there's when poverty got in the way i really noticed that right it was it was i was depressed it was easy to stay in depression long you know what i mean like it was just i realized how much of this i loved and missed you know like and it was taken away so you know that 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 matters but i think injuries can do that like i've learned enough to be able when i have injuries i can still find games and play with and have fun in it you know and i do in internal arts that now there's things that i can do i don't have to i don't rely on big physical range of motion to be able to practice the art you know uh, at a high level so that helps, but uh, yeah, injuries, they they mess with your head and make it, they, they take the fun out of it. And then, uh, you know, they take the, they mess up your trajectory, you know? Yeah, a lot of setbacks I feel like are physical. It's just about forcing yourself to get back out there. Injuries are definitely more mental. There's a mental barrier when you get hurt. Yes. Right, I've broken my bone, i broken my nose a handful of times, broken, my toe jammed my wrist i've had foot issues uh hip issues now i'm dealing with some sort of shoulder issue with my nerve yeah there's something there's something mental that starts to get in the way that stops you from going all out because you you don't want to don't want to deal with it right injuries i think are definitely more detrimental for most people 
Like physical setbacks suck, but you can usually find a way to, to make it work. Like injuries will literally force you to stop. Like I remember when I broke my toe doing jujitsu. I missed at least two or three weeks because I could barely walk. When I was boxing, I got really bad plantar fasciitis on my on my anchor foot, so I couldn't really push off it. Like I would try to train, there's only so much I could do. Like my head and my body weren't matching up. My body was physically stopping me from, from doing much. I'd go in there and I'd hit the heavy bag for two rounds and I couldn't walk for an hour. What kind of injuries have you had throughout your martial arts career? Running on a lot. I wanted to actually, I'm going to go to that. I wanted to step back to something you were saying. It was important, you know, like um, the other piece of, you know, of injuries I've, I've learned to deal with is like this, this, the discipline piece I was telling you about, you know, and you know, I bring that up because for one, like to me in a, in a good, a, a good art, all arts have this, but a good teacher should be teaching like how to take care of your body as you do the art, right? Because the, the most of the arts and most external arts uh, are going to be, you know, they're, they're going to tend towards wearing down the joints, right? Over time, because you do, you know, these aren't natural movements that you're doing and high intensities over time, right? And so you know, without some kind, I've, I've been to the conferences. I've seen the guys that are 50 to 80, you know, that did this for 30 or 40 years. And I see how beat up their bodies are across different spectrums, right? And like, that is not what any of us, you know, are aiming for. You get your gold medal, you get your, your badge and everybody laughs at the stories, but you're with your cane shaking, trying to, you know, get up the stairs, you know? And so a lot of why uh, these happen, the more I, I learn about the types of stuff we do, like, you know, a lot of injuries at the end of the day do come because of our lack of communication with our body. You know what I mean? Like we pull things because we don't know how far where things are. And we, there are, yeah, like for me, not, not stretching, not doing my conditioning, not doing things to loosen my fascia and loosen my tendons, not doing the things that condition and strengthen my tendons and not being in a practice of listening and communicating with those things like I was when I, you know, when I've been intensely with it will let me know will let me know you know like they'll be the reason why something surprises me versus like when i'm on those things i'm in such tune with my body like i know when i'm taking a chance or i know when something happens and i'm like ah this has been getting this has been feeling a little more structurally weak why is that let me took well back into the reasons and you you know you get rid of things before they happen and i've definitely had those kind of experiences too and i bring it up because a lot of a lot of this comes from coaching right this comes from the people that teach the people like if you just taught the way you're taught you're going to approach it the way you approach it but like to me a good like a really good teacher a good complete teacher like should do these things and it does become the difference in learning an art for just self-defense for learning it for combat sport or learning it as a way of life right like the way of life piece should start bringing those pieces in you know yeah listening to your body is definitely really important that's something that I had to learn the hard way with boxing. Boxing very much has a culture of tough it out. Right. Not listening. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now look at all, all those all those little voices in your head telling you to slow down. Right. You know, ignore it. Put them in a make her work box. Shut them up. <laughs> right, right. And one thing that's really prevalent in boxing is head injuries. And it's not one hit. It's an accumulation of hits. You take a bunch of hits to the head, especially in sparring. You don't really think anything of it 
until later. Mm. I didn't realize I was having actual brain issues until I was forced to stop because of COVID. No way. Were you still yeah. noticing things like after? Yeah, so I, I stopped. I stopped because of COVID. And then probably six or seven months later, I was talking to some friends and they were telling me a story about something we did like three weeks ago. And I want to say it was, no, it was actually when I was moving. I had some friends help me move. And one of my friends hit me up maybe a month later. It was like, hey, thanks for this piece of furniture you gave me. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's like, yeah, when you were moving, you, you gave me this piece of furniture. And I thought back to that day and there was like a good like three hour chunk of that day that was just black. I had no memory of it. Wow. And I started noticing that a lot more once I became aware of it, that I would just have like moments of my memory that yeah. would just, it's like they weren't there. It's like somebody took the files out. Wow. Like luckily I don't have that anymore, but that was, that was scary for a while there. That is scary. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's why you got back into jujitsu next go round versus the boxing. I'm guessing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, where you, you were asking me so, some injuries? Injuries I've been through, like in my twenties. I think um, a lot of the injuries I dealt with. You know, your body's young, your body's feeling good. You know, um, a lot of my injuries I dealt with were actually shoulder back related because I was in pretty good shape. Um, I in the art I trained in, there was a big emphasis on never lifting and raising your shoulders, right? Keeping down. So we worked on that a lot. And I never did lifting. I never, I did a lot of strength conditioning exercises, but all of them intentionally did not have the shoulder bow, right? And so like the rest of my body got disproportionately strong, like compared to my shoulders. And so that became a problem, right? And so like another, you know, like it would show up as small little injuries. And I just realized like my shoulders just are, don't keep up with the rest of my body. Well, because like, you know, the, the stuff that I've been doing. Um, so it, it, it was, it, it would show up with labrum issues. It would show up, you know, cause people end up getting a lot of, you know, tweaky kind of shoulder issues, but I would get those kind of weak shoulder issues that didn't make sense for the type of body I had and the type of condition that I was doing. But like, that, I'm pretty sure it's connected to that. Like, um, and then, uh, back and, uh, I used to have back issues at times because some of the stuff that the conditioning and the training I did, like I would, it would be conditioning the back, but I wasn't really building back muscle. You know what I mean? And yeah, it would do it. So thirties were more knees because I had issues a little bit with my knees in my twenties, but I really worked on learning how to manage them, maintain them. I did hot yoga, you know, times I, I, I did knee maintenance exercises. I was really flexible, stretched out, you know, I could kick, you know, above my head. Um, and you know, in my thirties, it was more about getting stable and stability. So I didn't have, didn't have time to, you know, to, to go train, to, you know, do the conditioning, do the stretching, do all the stuff like I used to do. Uh, and my knees definitely, I already had bad knees from when I was uh, young. You know, I have double, my family got, got double jointed knees and minimal cartilage. And, uh, you know, so issues would start to show. And I would say that was, that had been my I've pretty I know I've dealt with a few torn meniscuses that I've had to heal on my own. I've had to figure out how to how to work through. Um and now the injury issues I deal with, I'm still working through my knee because I haven't had Medicare or so, you know, healthcare so that I, I can 
get an actual opinion. I've kind of had to heal it, you know, on my own. And I've, I've actually felt really good about the progress over that through the years. But there's things that, you know, like I know there's scar tissue and stuff in there that I like to take a look at and heal. And, I, you know, I can, I can do it the old traditional way and, you know, keep working on saving and conditioning things out of it, you know. But I like a combination of the, of the two. Um, and uh, some of the issues, injuries I deal with nowadays are, um, I don't even know if I call them injuries, but like they're connective tissue kind of things. Like I remember one day last week I did this and you know, I was testing a connection that goes down the back, spine. Sometimes I like, do something like this and just get the nice little pop, like, you know, just all the way down it. Um, and I remember doing that and I didn't get the pop I was looking for and I pulled a muscle like in the middle of my back, you know? Um, it was like, oh shit! Like, I didn't, you know, would give me the, like, but it wasn't so much that the pull it was like, I didn't know the connection was that strong. Like, like I shouldn't even be able to do that. Like, how did I pull that by just doing that? You know what I mean? And like, and it tripped me out because three or four weeks before, I had the same phenomenon happen on the other side, and I was trying to pop it. I was like, oh, maybe I'm doing too much. Maybe I went too hard, right? But this time, I've been careful about it because of what happened before. And I was like, fuck, it still did that, you know. And so there's like these weird, interesting things of learning, but you know, in my journey you know takes me to new parts of the body man i remember i pulled my rear oblique when i first got into jujitsu yeah man hip hip escapes were so frustrating for like a good three weeks after that it was just hard it was bad enough i was new i didn't know what i was doing i was already getting my ass beat yeah every turn is gonna be uh, yeah yeah and that's that's a lot of like hip escapes because I was new, like I'm on the bottom all the time. Like people are just fucking beating the shit out of me. And now it's, it's like, I can't even get out. And yeah, no, those jujitsu injuries are different too. Those jujitsu injuries are not like the, the injuries you get in stand-up, which is, that's what's new for yeah. Like the shoulder stuff, the finger, hand, thumb stuff. Like, yeah, that, that's been, that was definitely an interesting journey. And especially like, it, it's, sucks for me too because like i'm i do it at an mma gym so it's like and i'm, I'm learning i'm learning the language jiu-jitsu but when somebody goes too hard i just want to like I, I know how to stop what's happening you know <laughs> you know i know how to stop it but i you know like it's usually not appropriate to throw a strike or whatever you know and like it's funny because it's like that's why strikes are there for to keep yourself injured <laughs> i mean it's probably more appropriate at your gym than it is to mine right right and yours it would be <laughs> right my, my gym's funny. I don't want to shit on anybody, really, but it's funny because, like, a lot of them don't know how to strike. So I, I watch your striking, and it's like, oh, man, this was, like, MMA. This you, guys beat, you guys beat the shit out of me in jujitsu, but this was MMA. They would be like, Josh is the word you would be Patty Kimblin in that. <laughs> Who was it? <laughs> Man. Yeah, the, the injuries are definitely different. Like, like I said, with boxing, uh, wrist issues, like I I almost broke my wrist, hit a heavy bag, wrist just bent the wrong way, messed that for about a month. Foot issues, because you're pushing off it a lot. Hip issues, because there's so much so much torque that you put on your hip with every punch. Jiu-Jitsu, it's weird muscles that I never really use. Like I said, my rear oblique, um some hip muscles that you don't use all that much broke my toe got stuck between the mat 
I should never have was boxing. <laughs> Crazy, yeah. But at the same time, like I don't have, I don't get hit in the mouth. I don't get hit in the nose. Yeah. And I don't have to worry about wearing a mouth guard, really. Yeah, no head stuff. Oh, yeah, that. Injuries are definitely different. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's funny because that, the hip, the midsection is the brain, is what the head is. You know, and the other sport, like the last center, you know, in jujitsu. Yeah, your your core, it's ringing pork. Mm -hmm. How do how do injuries impact your motivation to train really hard? Hmm, that is the question, and that's where the discipline really kind of comes in. A combination of discipline, you know, with what you can do, right? Like, um, if your relationship with your art is just physical, you know what I mean. If it is just like the equivalent of like your CrossFit workout plus the fun game of, you know, sparring or something, then that's going to be tough, right? Because like, you know, that, you know, that gets depressive, you know, like, because it, it's hard to do anything to replace that. Um, I think if your journey is um, in the art, like, for instance, people that are older practitioners or people that are, you know, maybe looking to supplement with their art, you know, um, you know, injuries don't necessarily stop you from working on certain principles but they it's it's kind of like one thing i've experienced with injuries is that sometimes injuries they don't keep me outside the room but they put guardrails on things in the world like now all and i can still ride the bike but now it has training wheels again you know what i mean i can still drive the car but i can't go more than 15 miles an hour you know what i mean so i you know take it it can be an opportunity to go back to basics you know what i mean like and that's again if your work does work on you know principle technique skill that kind of thing the arts that I work on work on feeling too as a big part of what they do. So you know what I mean? That internal feeling, I don't necessarily need, you know, the, my need to be, you know, like if I can't jump, I can still work on that internal feeling, you know, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's ways there's ways of still pushing through it, but it definitely like with jujitsu, when you want to learn something new, it really affects it. Like with jujitsu, when those new injuries were happening, I was caught in between like okay how much can i afford to go back like how much of this do i need to just fight through these injuries because sometimes they're, they're just conditioning injuries that just come with getting your body getting used to an art and some of that's natural some of them will be good injuries some of them will be like oh i'll make sure that doesn't happen again but some of it's just natural if you went to a camp for two weeks you'd go through all the cycles and conditions of that some of them are like you know like i ah, that's dangerous oh that'll be an issue over time right and in the beginning it's hard to know which is which you know what i mean so like that that for me I've definitely had points where injuries like that would keep me out of the gym for a couple of weeks, especially if it's like not my main thing and I need to use my body for other things. And I've had times where, you know, I've wanted to go back and like, okay, this is a limitation. Let me get a little brace or something for it. Let me make sure everybody I work with knows where I am, but let's see what I can still do in lieu of this, you know? Um, and it is, it's a little different, you know, like I said, being beginners and stuff, it's a little different um, than it is when you got experience. Yeah, I find that it changes as you age. For me, when I was younger, it was it was simply a hurdle, right? Just run through it, you know, like a brick wall, tough it out, keep going. Now, as I get older, as the injuries accumulate and start to get worse, like I start to question, start to question, yeah. why am I doing this? Yeah. You know, what's what's my motivation? You know, like I'm not doing this anymore to to be successful in the sport to go to tournaments or anything like that. So it's like, why am I putting my body through this? I find myself questioning that. 
ultimately like I love it so I just find a way to make it back in there and keep bettering myself but I try to keep that in mind now that I'm old too is that it's, it's I do this for myself and it's not worth it if I burn myself out you just said if you, you said you know I'm bettering myself I'm gonna keep going back in and bettering myself and that's probably you know that deep why what this does for you why you love it right because like just doing it, being around, it betters yourself. And like, the more, the deeper you go into the well, the more you better yourself. The more, the less it takes to better yourself with the art, right? The more you discover about the art, you know what I mean? It doesn't, you don't even need physical stuff anymore to, to, to start still unlocking pieces of it, you know? Like the pieces that I got, I didn't even get to train in my art per se, right? But the pieces that I got unlock shit that not only made me feel different to the people that I work with, but actually unlock some shit for the people I was talking to today because they got, you know what I mean? So it's just, it's it's really interesting how that, how that does work. Yeah, my, my motivation also changed as I got older, right? Like when I was younger, my motivation was to be better than other people. My motivation was related to others and their progress as well as mine. Now that I'm older, it's definitely more of a personal journey for me. My motivation is all internal versus external. That's the mess. That's beautiful. What's interesting too, we talk about it because man, you know, you, you would, you, you would think that's kind of like the ideal way to go. Right. And like mine has been a little bit reversed. Right. And like, like I, I had opportunities when I was younger, if I had really wanted to go down that path and it wasn't the path I was looking for life, but like working at Kovars, being exposed to Cassia Warnick and not being on a degree away from the Darius folks that were doing the things out here. Like, if I wanted to be like, I'm going to figure out how to get in this UFC path and figure, because I, you know, like I said, I, striking wise, and back, and I think even more so, like, I was, I would have been grounded and I didn't think anybody keep up with striking either talk, like, for sure. Like, only, Anderson Silva was the only person I was like, he'd be interesting. He'd be interesting. The rest of these guys, he fucking kid Like, that's what it felt like, right? And so, like, you know, the, um, uh, there was a quote. This month. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, in my twenties, uh, I think that was um, definitely like a possibility. But I, I was really just I wanted to be like a man, like as good as I could possibly be. Like I was, I, I guess I had my own reasons, right? And me and you, we we've got our connections off. I had I had I had a mission. I had a greater mission. You know, that had nothing to do with sports. That had nothing to do with you know what I mean. And that's what, you know, that's what martial arts was a part of for me, you know? And so all the other stuff was cool, but like, how does this make me make that mission happen more is where that came from. So it made it a very internal thing, right? And like, you know, going into my path to meditation into, you know, looking at the world spiritually, all fed and started through martial arts because I wanted that that deep, deep, deep stuff because I wanted to tap into that to be able to use, you know, maybe on another level or whatnot, right? And so I've evolved in that sense, and it's become a foundational source of who I am. And all of the pieces that I've been attracted to have been, you know, have qualities of that now. And now I'm like a baby. And like most of the people that do internal stuff don't touch it until they're in the 50s, 60s, you know, or later. I was playing with it tough. Now, now I'm, I'm 15 years in in my mid 40s, which is unique and rare, right? In those spaces, right? And so, like, now I find myself like I can't keep the quality of it without that internal relationship to everything is still there but now i find myself wanting to and i peers that are like this too like wanting to play more and express more with other people to, you know what i mean like just to, to play like to see how the art works you know and, and, and testing the art doesn't feel right because it's not 
it's not really the goal. I really don't need the, you know what I mean? That's, yeah, and I, I know the art works. I've had it tested in real life. I've, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm fine with that, you know? But, uh, but seeing how the communication, the language of, you know, that martial dance works with other people, like, it is interesting. I find myself wanting to be able to share and express more. But like I said, even at Uriah's gym, you know, I've been there, you know, I've been a member there for over a year now. And I haven't really expressed my way with people there yet, right? I haven't expressed, you know, on my terms yet. That's just been been there. But yeah, it is interesting how the journey, like my journey started off internal. It still is internal, but it's becoming more external as as I grow into it, which for me, I think is a healthy thing, right? And like, and I love for you, like, you know, your journey has, has gone more and more internal as I've learned, as I've, as I've known you. But, you know, you are doing things, you're competing, you're competing well, you know, you're out there, you know what I mean? And you're you're in position to to do all the things you want to. And that's kind of where I wanted to be at. Like, to me, if you're training at the highest levels in your art, in my arts, at least that I've trained in, like if you're training at the highest level, I should be able to jump into a competition at any point, any point, right? Like, and maybe I don't have the time to condition at that level yet, right? But like, let's be real. I mean, like if you're a professional athlete or fighting at, even semi-pro professional levels like you don't need more than like one to two hours of conditioning a day to stay you know what i mean once you hit a level that you can make it at one to two hours of conditioning a day you know keep you in there if you really want to push it you can add a couple of hours a week you know what i mean but you know if, if if that's your thing in your life that doesn't take much you know what i mean but like staying there and making that the lifestyle and just resting in that is to me as an artist that's what I want my default to be. That's why you inspired me too. Cause like, that's one of the things you've been quietly doing. I've seen that and I've been, it's, you know, I, I love it. You know what I mean? And like, it reminds me of like, when I get my time, I want to do that too. That's when you have the time, you do that shit. That inspires the fuck out of me. Cause I'm like, yes, I'm not, I'm not crazy. If somebody else gets it and Josh is doing what, like what I would want to do in these other arts, so you know, so like when my time comes, I want to be able to, you know, condition go for, I want to be able to go three rounds just for fun you know and just just so my breath's not gonna be an issue we figure out whatever the hell's gonna happen just let my breath not get in the way you know what i mean because that ain't got nothing to do with what i'm gonna do in there you know three rounds is tough man <laughs> it, it doesn't feel that bad but it, it's definitely way harder than it looks yeah yeah i ran into first getting into boxing you know it's like three minute rounds like, that's easy you know i train i train five six seven rounds that's easy they get in there and spar where all of a sudden three rounds feels like 10. right right and then i've talked to pros they say competing like five rounds feels like sparring 10. which would feel like training 20 right which is absolutely insane like one thing i've always wanted to talk to you about it's like that internal that internal fire to compete like you're talking about how you're starting to develop that, like you want to test yourself externally more with people. I feel like my competition fire has been put out, right? Like that thing that drove me boxing to go out there and push myself six days a week, seven days a week to get better, to beat people. It's just not there with jujitsu. Like I just don't have any desire to compete at that level, at any level, really. And so I wanted to ask you, is that something that you can turn on and off in your opinion? Or is that something that once once it's gone, it's gone? 
I mean, depends on the depends on the nature of it, right? For people that have been competing, and like you brought up a good point when you talked about, you know, the relationship with you were worried you worried about others versus being worried about yourself, right? People that have been competing with others, right? And the mindset has been me versus them, better than them, you know. I, you know, either I'm worse than them or better. Like their whole life's like, I think that can be draining, right? Mentally, because like, you know, there is, you know, you have to live with the pre- nobody's gonna be the best at anything forever. First of all, that's first. That's truth, right? Right? You're just not. And so, how you're gonna deal with that reality when and everything you do to try to become a champ forever is in conflict with that, right? So that's those two things are like wall. You know what I mean? An unstoppable, you know, uh, wall and immovable, you know, whatever. Unstoppable force and immovable wall coming toward each other and how are you going to deal with it when they meet right is is what that so for people that have that approach to it i do think yeah at some point the fire gets put out or it gets transitioned into something else right like i'm sure magic johnson michael jordan you know their competitive fire is probably not put out but they've probably been able to transfer it into business well right it's, you know brady maybe transferred into being a great father right you know who knows right you know so there's that right <laughs> we won't go there <laughs> the yeah, i don't want to touch that one man if you if you've been competing with yourself you know what i mean the whole time then that's different like for me i've been competing with myself for so long like i've had to learn how to let the reins off how to not stop beating myself how to stay, you know what i mean like i was i had myself in a dungeon and i had trained myself into this fucking you know it's this fucking, you know, martial arts, you know, slave fucking beast, you know, um, and learning how to, you know, let let that off and learn. How, like to me, the desire to compete with myself and not saying compete with myself, but to grow myself, to better myself, which is competing with yourself. It's challenging the old version of you, you know, with a better version of you that hasn't waned for me. And even in now. I, it's hard like I don't have a true competitive desire like like the other folks out there which makes me a little bit different it, I wouldn't even have I wouldn't even desire to get out there if I didn't think it's weird if I can't get there out there and dominate I don't deserve to be out there like I don't have enough competitive desire for that the only reason I'm even interested in testing is because like there's times where on my own and this is I'm sharing this with you and I guess now the podcast world right there's times like where i feel like at with ease i could i could leverage techniques to do things and i want to see if they can do things and there's just no arena to really practice it in and i do you know there's sometimes where i'm like yeah i feel like this would be like so dominant in this that i could go in there and play with it like but i wouldn't disrespect the art if i you know what i mean like if if I needed hella conditioning to get to a point where I feel like I could play with you at your level, that's respecting your art. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I need to join it going like, as a martial artist, I look at it and I'm like, yeah, I feel like if my condition was all right, I could, I could step right in and play. And then I could, for playing, I could just answer some questions. I could, you know what I mean? I could do some things that I can't do with my peers on my own. You know what I mean? Versus, versus having a drive to beat you. Now, the thing is like, goes in my head is like, well, what if your theory's right? Right? Like, you know, most likely it's wrong. And you just go ahead and have a few, you know, have some fun. And, joke about over some beers and get back on top about you got your ass kicked right but what if your theory makes sense right like what if there's a thing to that right what would you do right like what if it's surprisingly easy to impose your will right like you know and i haven't gone in the thought of that but you know it's one of those like well i mean if i was younger i would probably left for the sake of leaving like my teacher said we do not fight for 
for money or for a living and this is not the way that we are going to show the art but i want you to know what this art is capable of like that would have been my 20s and 30s right now i'm kind of more like you know like yeah, it might be good for the world right like if something like that would happen it may be cool like i'm not going to be one of those like even though I mean, i've lived my life I, this would be all fun for me i'd be like stipe right like i was about to retire in a few years anyway like i'm just yeah having fun like this is cool but you know um yeah i think in terms of competitive fire yeah like if you've been fighting with the world your whole life at some point that is going to if you don't put that out it will drain you not just mentally and emotionally but spiritually right you'll have to put that fire out to keep to put that fire into something else right you know it'll burn other things out too quick if you're not competing with yourself you know what i mean then there should be heat there should be the pot should be similar yeah, I want to go back to one of the things you just mentioned where you were talking about how like you want to get in there, you want to test some stuff out and see if it works. In my experience, usually that type of stuff, it does work, but almost never the first time. Yeah, yeah. You can get in there, get your ass beat. Right. You're like, I'm I'm onto something. Right. I figure out I figure out how to tweak it. Right. Tweak it a little bit. Right. Get back in there and see if it works. Right, right, right. And that's that's one of the things I want to see, like you know it, like that's I, that's one of the cool that's one of the coolest feelings you know i don't want to go too much on a tangent but yes yeah like it's it's one of the coolest feelings to get in there and know you're right and realize you just need to tweak a couple things i've seen it happen a few times with like with wing chun with working with people with like i've seen like i'm like okay like who knows but like yeah like you know like there may be something here you know and like yeah I, I like it when you see it, see other people do it. Yeah. Something you've been, you've been practicing. Yeah. Like I remember, uh, I was working on this move in boxing where like I would go to the body a couple times, would set it up, but I would set it up and then I would set up my left hook to the head to look exactly like a left hook to the body. All I need to do is just a little tweak in my elbow, pull it up to the head. Yeah. <laughs> and I was thinking like, this is, I could set so many people up with this. Yeah. And I watched, I want to say it was uh, Alexander Popiekin and Derek White. Derek was kicking his ass for five rounds, I think. Popiekin starts hitting him with a couple body shots and he fakes that body shot and comes straight to an uppercut knockout. I liked Popiekin too. I like yeah, him. Yeah, I, I, like, I, I still love Popiekin. I do. The defense is the best, but like... But he's, he's, he's hard. He's hard than he and he's skilled. I mean, he's skilled. Good. I mean, like, especially for the like, it, he's he's nice to watch when he wins. He's a he's fun to watch win. It, he was whenever he gets he somebody was, that's got enough skill to expose him. It's like ah shit, like, and he makes the other guy look good, really good. Like when you beat Quebec, to me that that means something. Like in my book, you know, he was he was the Luis Ortiz before Luis Ortiz became the boogeyman in that division. <laughs> like late 2000s early 2010s he was that guy in that division that the top guys wanted to avoid and if you beat him that was a big name to put on your belt he was that guy like when Kovalev was coming on it was like they were kind of the same kind of guy in a sense. you yeah. know what I mean like Kovalev kept improving and his skill yeah. actually elevated to the point where but and Pavekin was right there but like just not enough to cross that elite that elite range you know what i mean but anyway tangent yeah he was he was right there <laughs> yeah uh 
Yeah, back to like back to motivation. So obviously success is a huge, huge motivator for anybody internally, externally, like whatever that success is. How has your your idea of success changed as you have aged, as you have transitioned to different martial arts? How has that evolved over the years? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I think. For me personally, I think it's become refined because like I said, I did have a relatively kind of unique and probably a more internalized than normal approach to this to begin with. Um, a lot of that I'm, is foundation that I build off of. I would say mastery has been probably the goal for me and continues to be, right? Like more than anything else, right? There's just, just and, and mastery even external validation and mastery is limited, right? Like, you know, of course, if a master says you're a master, then, you know, they're probably not, you know, probably a good place, but even that, you know, um, there's its limits. Uh, but my definition of mastery is definitely evolved, right? And I would say, you know, mastery is a, reflects a level of embodiment of an art, not just understanding an art. Like, you know, mastering is more than just conceptualizing an art, more than understanding an art, more than memorizing his techniques, is embodying an art. Becoming a, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? An expression, a walking, living, breathing expression of the art, you know? And so, um, you know, that is success and it's an ongoing thing to me when it happens. I mean, you can't, you, you know, you don't necessarily, know, you get reach a point where you're like, I'm there. But the less separation you feel from your art, the less you have to try to start doing anything to practice for it, the more that that's that's happening. And so so that for me is like, you know, that's still, you know, the high point. And I want to be able to do things like heal as well as, you know, I want my creative energy to be as powerful as my destructive capacity, you know, in martial arts. Right. So like or, you know, just in the energy work. And so um, that motivates me that, you know, um, is something I think of as success. But for where I'm at now, I think success, while I still have my body and I still have capacity, I still, I think I, I think both of us, we understand our bodies and their capacities more than most of our peers at this age and more than like, we can do more than most of the people that were our peers 30, 40 years ago could do. And I think we understand that, right? So I do want to, as I work through toward my own level of you know relationship mastery whatever with my art um i do want to make the most out of this time and i'm moving into a space where i will have time to actually condition and getting out of poverty isn't something i'm fighting with my art you know what i mean um so yeah for success for me is a combination of like i said moving towards embodiment and really mastering on a level but like right now i think success for me would i want to i want to reach certain conditioning milestones. I have wanted to see what my best looks and feels like, you know, um, body being a part of that physical body. As much as we have in common, I think it's really interesting that our motivations have been pretty much polar opposite. <laughs> What's the Because you're, 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 you're talking about like, you want to master your art where I find, I used to want to master what I was doing. Whereas now I feel like I want to diversify. It's almost like I see the limitations in what I'm doing, mm -hmm. and I want to diversify to cover up those limitations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to master the basics of boxing, 
and I want to be the best boxer I could be. But then as I've kind of gotten older, I've realized as good as that is, since I'm not planning on competing as a boxer, I need to diversify. I need to switch it up. I need to do, I need to get into a grappling martial art. I need to do some ground game. And eventually I want to get back into striking, but it's probably not going to be pure boxing. I eventually want to transition to Muay Thai to help cover up some of those holes in boxing. Still use my boxing as my primary, my primary art, but use a bunch of other things to supplement instead of mastering the one art. And that's something that's that's come more with age. No, I get it. I, th I think it's come with humility too. Right. Yes. Yes. When you're when I'm younger and really deep into boxing, my mindset is I don't give a shit what anybody else can do. Like my mastery in boxing will overcome it. Right. Right. And then as I get older, it's like no boxing has its limitations. Doesn't matter how good I am. Right. If I don't, if I don't understand other stuff to to supplement supplement right. boxing, right, it matter. Right. Right. Like I can have the best, I can have the best left hook in the world. If I run into a jujitsu guy and they're gonna pull me down, it don't matter. You never get to use it. You never get exactly. to use it. Yeah. Exactly. And I like that you bring that up. Like the the one thing that's unique about my arts, um, especially now that I'm training multiple Chinese arts, which you know kind of have a similar fundamental. Uh, cosmological you know um is yeah is that like they they cover so much from what the art specializes in to the internal and external aspects it's kind of like oh well yeah if i get all this i i cover you know you cover all the bases you know like like each one is this field-based thing that like it's got all of it in there like like the, the the guy that's the standard the, the world teacher like he's in his 70s and i feel confident like i would not just put money i would probably put this left pinky down under a knife and wager that i don't think anybody in the UFC could take him down if he didn't choose to be taken down in his 70s you know and I thought that's stress. That's big shit, right? Like <laughs> you know, like I can have my finger on anything. Like please, huh? Don't let that's. I need you. But I mean, that's, like yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I would. You know, like I'm split that. You know, and, and you'd have to you have to experience that, right? To feel that level of, you know, there's different talking about money, right? Oh, oh money, man, I, you know what I mean? I, I, like I just watched John Jones pull down a 250 pound man like a lion tearing a gazelle down to the ground. <laughs> That's, that's, <laughs> my, that, that's how I praise be willing to bet your pinky up. I know what John Jones can do. Nobody else knows what my teacher can do. That's the that's the unfair piece. I've seen both. I've seen both. And you I know you know, you trust my opinion to a certain point, right? I'm not just gonna be talking shit, just be talking shit, right? Like a guy's gotta earn that, you know, from me. And so like there's you know, there's there's things out there. That's why it does make that's why the internal stuff is interesting. It's I think there's like I, my theory with the ufc is there's two critical in components of martial arts missing in just the general martial arts spectrum i ain't getting deep into martial arts but for one internal aspects right and the the easiest way i'll describe what internal does internal versus when i versus external i don't like put them like they're two different things because of course there's both and both you know what i mean but in general when you look at it when when you start dealing with internal you start with dealing with round shapes and structures you start dealing with calculus 
right? And now it's calculus versus algebra, right? So it's just it's a different level of math, right? That you know, like that's that's one. The the the, the options, what you can do starts growing exponentially, right? Like there's things and structures you can't build without calculus, without that math. You know what I mean? Um, but there's a lot you can do with algebra. You can build build. You do a lot. Of, you do a lot of amazing shit with algebra. You know what I mean? Um, and um, I don't know that. What you want to um, Oh, in uh, ranges. So, were ranges of martial arts? You know, there used to only be two that showed up at a, at a decent level, at above average level in, in, in mixed martial arts. Now there's three. There is a big one missing. Big, big one missing. And all which, the which one is that, Neil? <laughs> <laughs> all of the top, top guys have a surprising level of proficiency in it. And it's the infighting ring, the trapping ring, it's the elbow ring. All of the top guys, right, know how to use their hands. They are relatively elite compared to their peers at that range. You know, when you start looking at even the Shabankos, the you know, Joe's, you can look at Habib when he strikes, when he gets close in. Control, space is something we're gonna talk about, right? And space is essential to the definition of you know what martial arts is or whatnot and controlling that space right there that is the high lever that is the highest risk high reward space in there when you know how to operate in that space you can change trajectory of a fight dramatically and that is something that is not that range is completely missing from training and approaching mma and and so that that's something i've that's you know I want to test and experiment with just as a as a, as a scientist as a you know what I mean as a guy that wants to play like is it just me or da, 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 right like I don't want to be here talking about it like go play let's go see like you know what I mean like maybe there's something I'm missing here but as I'm sitting in there watching I'm like yeah I don't think you have anything for this right and like there's you know I was remember with their day they used to be with this at uh, Wing Chun Gym probably don't remember yeah. that we had we had a few days I don't know if you remember at the Wing Chun studio. Probably. And I remember, I remember you, Craig, Willie. I remember Darian, or was it Darian or was it Dorian? It was Dorian, right? Dorian, yeah, Dorian. I, I remember Dorian. Um, that's about it. Wow, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So there's a guy, Dave. He used to go to the East Train the UFC folks, and he had an interesting background. He, you know, did kung fu and other stuff, and you know, like he was fun to play with. And you know, I would asking him like hey can you take me there like what would you do what would you be an entry to take me there right and like you know it's one of those things like i still haven't found i haven't been i haven't found anybody that can take me down in a way that i don't feel that i would be able to counter and recover my balance in real life and that's not because i'm i'm amazing and i'm just nobody knows i'm just a secret gym right no like part of my hot keto training for 25 years was to keep my head over my center at all times you know what I mean? Like to keep my head over centers, I've been, been down to tie my shoes, tie my shoes standing up. You probably see me do that in the gym a hell of a time, right? Like when I take showers, I wash my whole body on one leg like a swan, right? So my, my relationship to balance is different, right? So like I really am interested in like under a pressure situation. If I don't want somebody to get my balance, can they? You know, like it's a cure, you know, it, you know. Um, I, I think it would be interesting to test that against some high level wrestlers. Yeah. Because I find high level wrestlers, they think the same way, but they think the inverse. Exactly. I think that they don't think that they aren't thinking like I trained with somebody at my gym that was a four year like NCAA college wrestler, division one, right? 
And he thinks the same way you do, but instead of like, how do I keep my head over my shoulders? How do I break that down? Like he's always thinking in terms of, how do I break that down, break down your center, you know, right. break your posture, get you into a position where I can take you down. Right. And with- it's, it's, it's an interesting chess match, right? That you're talking about. You know, somebody that's aware of that and wants to keep that position, somebody else that's also aware of that is trying to break it. Right. And in jujitsu, it's really fun to play with because you get to see it off like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an equal unbiased environment to kind of play with that experiment. And it's cool to see how my defense and the other things comes out, man. I still, like I said, having done jujitsu, I don't have that question answered yet, but with strikes involved, knowing what I know, right. With strikes involved and knowing that you, you need connections. See the arts that I've learned with field, you need connect. You need to be able to know how to connect through me. That's assuming, and I know nobody I'm dealing with has more, like has more body sensitivity than me. That's just not the bridge, just the arts that I've trained. There's no way that you're, you know what I mean? Like you're going to get that without that. So like, if you're not, if every time I strike, it's breaking connection. Every time I just uproot from the ground, it breaks a connection. You have to get it back and do your thing that quick. Like you, it could happen. I can, I want to see it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I need to meet somebody that's amazing. Like, so, you know, that's been a thing like, yes, somebody rushes me and I just have to use my body weight and I have to, you know what I mean? But if I get to shift, if I get to use knees, like part of the things we practice with them, I thing, right? Like we did a, a round where we would go two minutes, like everything, everything, like you, like everything is a life or death strike the whole nine. So like I learned how to do double knees, like, like it's nothing, you know what I mean? Like getting in the air, putting a knee up, switching a knee, do what I doing under duress and not falling to the ground is something I worked on for years. Right. So it's like, and that's my, that's an extreme measure. I, I, I have reasons obviously for feeling confident about like what would happen in a situation, but like, you know, you never know until you get tested. Right. And like, I don't even get to talk about it much because I would sound like a dick. I would just sound like somebody is just on their own. You know what I mean? And I don't even want to get in the space from this is like looking for me to get my ass beat. So that, you know, but like, but maybe I do, but <laughs> I feel like a lot of people, if you're not exposed to the type of martial arts you're talking about. And it's hard it's hard to wrap your head around it's hard to understand yes the concept you're speaking of like the fact that me and you we met doing wing chun and also tai chi with craig because craig was also teaching the tai chi we were exposed to that sort of internal martial arts like i watched i watched craig do some absolutely amazing shit physically right by doing nothing by just being so soft, she couldn't feel him, but yet somehow wiped everybody out. Right, like if you didn't know any better, it probably would look like like fake martial arts. Right, right. But you you have to be exposed to it to understand it. The best analogy, you know, when you deal with setbacks, injuries, you know, things of the sort, I think we have a great analogy in the theater world now, and we call it Ant-Man, quantum, quantum mania. You know, when things happen, go small, go within, you know, it's, it's there, the little holes, the spaces that you didn't think were there. It's inside there where you find answers, whether it's exploring an injury and listening to your body and seeing where there's space where you didn't think there was, whether it's understanding and exploring, you know, uh, there's a technique you can't get past or a guy that keeps hitting, getting you. And there's something in that space that you haven't explored, usually going smaller, going in helps you figure it out, even if it's a feeling going within. So, you know, just finding going within and finding space tends to be the foundation the formula for getting out of setbacks and keeping the energy moving and flowing you know when it comes to martial arts or anything in life 
I absolutely love that idea. I love that we get to end on that idea. Thanks for, thanks for bringing that up, man. <laughs> it's like, it's like. <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a good week. Have a good day. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Peace. Getting your ass kicked. Get your ass kicked this week. Get your ass kicked.